Hi, this episode contains a deep dive into Survivor Gabon, and it also contains spoilers for events that happen in Survivor Token Chains and Survivor Heroes vs. Villains. This episode also contains frank discussions about mental health, drugs and alcohol, as well as thoughts of self-harm and suicide ideation. So if that's a conversation you would rather not hear, you may want to skip this episode. Everybody, 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 drop your Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I am Evan Ross Katz. Evan, we have an exciting guest today. We have our third guest. Of course, we've had Ozzy and Courtney, and we're adding another legend to the roster. We're talking to Sugar from Survivor Gabon and Survivor Heroes vs. Villains. And we could not be more elated because I think for us, as we're trying to chart out who the people we want to talk to are and sort of like our voice, you and I, within the Survivor verse, I feel like, you know, we showed our affections for Ozzy and Courtney, but I think a lot of people have affections for Ozzy and Courtney. And I'm not saying people don't have affections for Sugar, but I think that she is not remembered um, enough by the fandom writ large. And I think you and I can both agree that uh, she is someone that had a lot heavier of a hand in the the evolution of this game than she's often given credit for. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I even remember at the time when Gabon was airing, Sugar really didn't get the credit that she deserved. I think a lot of people were upset with Sugar for eliminating Kenny and Crystal ahead of the endgame. I think a lot of people saw Kenny as the quote-unquote rightful winner of Gabon. And because he played a pretty in-your-face strategic game, as opposed to like Bob or Susie, certainly who wound up in the final three with Sugar... But, I mean, the way that I thought about it at the time was that Kenny overplayed his hand and therefore Sugar voted him out. And he lost, fair and square. And the reason he lost was Sugar, who played a truly excellent game despite getting no votes in the end to win. Yeah, and I think what Sugar's success has well, excuse me, what it proved and what we don't see a lot of in sort of modern gameplay is this idea that alliances can be malleable. You don't necessarily have to have an alliance that you take with you to the end. I think now the idea is you get in an alliance, you stick with it until you make like the big move in which you blindside them to sort of add to your resume. But what Sugar did was sort of more alliance hop. She sort of noticed that there were these sort of like little conglomerates within uh, happening, and she kind of used every vote as an opportunity to say, okay, who is going to take me to the next? place at this juncture and I think what might frustrate people that look out for like extreme gameplay is that I don't think Sugar would call her strategy at the time a strategy so much as she would she was just trying to survive in the game and so she was making the votes that seemed the most logical to her week to week and I think people tend to uh, I don't want to say like players more, but people tend to respect players more who come in, articulate a long game strategy, and then use the week to week to play out that long game. And I don't think Sugar is that kind of survivor player. 
Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about the little groups of alliances that she played sort of around and with, a lot of talk is surrounding, uh, you know, voting blocks nowadays, or as it was called in Millennials versus Gen X, uh, trust clusters. And Gabon, I think, is really the first time we truly see that strategy employed in Survivor. Please, please DM me if you feel that I'm uh, mischaracterizing that or if I'm wrong. But in my mind, the game that Sugar played is a super modern game if you really go back and and you watch it so i've been watching these seasons re-watching them chronologically and it's like wow re-watching gabon in the midst of all these other teens seasons uh it's a totally different style of gameplay and yeah sugar had some of her long-term allegiances like for example to bob but even Bob wasn't super aligned with Sugar. It was right. that was more sort of out of convenience or necessity on Bob's part. But Sugar, outside of Bob, was really able to like go between alliances and and cut them when she needed to cut them. So I think she deserves more credit than she's ever given. Absolutely, and I too think I was trying to think in the lead up to this: is there anybody that sort of follows a similar blueprint to Sugar in that they? went really far in their original season, came back and were an early boot. And the best example I could come up with, and maybe you have somebody else, is Tina, who obviously won in the second season of the series, then came back for All Stars and was the first eliminated, mm-hmm. which is a similar fate to Sugar, although of course Sugar did not win her first season. Um, but what's notable about that is Tina then had this third arc in which she was able to return and sort of give her name some redemption. And it made me wonder what it would be like to watch someone like Sugar be afforded the opportunity to play again and and sort of just, I don't know, what it means when your second go at the show goes so unsuccessfully that you're sort of remembered as someone that fizzled out when I really would be curious to see a third act given to her. I mean, similarly, I think about Jerry, for instance. Had All Stars been Jerry's final act on the series, we'd have a very different takeaway, but she was kind of given Heroes versus Villains to sort of like, you know, thread the loop of of the trilogy, if you will. And I really do think Sugar is deserved that opportunity to play a third time. I mean, maybe it's redundant to say in the Survivor podcasting sphere, but I think another one that springs to mind is Rob Sesternino. You know, came in third place, had really couldn't get off the ground in All-Stars, and imagine if he came back. I mean, I don't know how he would do, but it would be interesting. That's a, that's a much better example than Tina. Yes, that is absolutely true. And there are two players I would be really interested to see play the modern version of the game. I, I do think, though, one thing that Sugar could bring to her third time out that I think Rob would be such a target uh, for so many people because mm. of his relationships to so many pre-existing survivors, but also just his strategic acumen and his intelligence. Uh, not saying that Sugar lacks either of those things, but I don't think Sugar would be perceived as big of a threat because again, and we get into this in the interview, but I don't think a lot of people think of Sugar as being overly strategic. And maybe she's not strategic in the way that people expect someone to strategize on this game. Um, mm-hmm. But I think one of the things that we were excited about in doing this interview was kind of putting some respect on Sugar's gameplay. And one thing I noticed during our interview is I felt like Sugar was surprised 
by how much respect we had for her gameplay because I'm not sure she has that respect for her gameplay. So I thought this was a good opportunity to sort of maybe even have her see her game a little differently. Yeah. Okay, let's just get straight into it. This is our interview with Sugar. Welcome to the Sugar Shack. In 2008, Survivor Gabon first introduced us to Jessica Kuiper, also known as Sugar, a 29-year-old actress, waitress, and pinup model from Brooklyn. On day one, the castaways were divided in a schoolyard pick, and Sugar was chosen by photographer Ace Gordon to join the Coda tribe. The original Coda tribe included players like Charlie Herschel, Corinne Kaplan, and Bob Crowley. Coda went on a three-challenge winning streak, but when the opposing Fong tribe finally won a reward challenge, they opted to send Sugar to Exile Island for her first of five times that season. <laughs> At Exile Island, Sugar found the only real hidden immunity idol of that season. In a tribe swap on day 10, another schoolyard pick left Sugar without a tribe. She was sent back to Exile Island, which at this point she had dubbed the Sugar Shack, before finally joining the new Fong tribe after they voted out one of Sugar's allies in the game, Jackie Berg. The Fong tribe went on to lose a series of reward and immunity challenges, and in a twist that found both tribes going to tribal council on day 21, Sugar was granted individual immunity and joined Kenny and Crystal in turning on one of her allies in the game and voting out Ace. On day 27, the tribes merged. Sugar learned that Bob had created an elaborate fake immunity idol and devised a plan to use it to ensure that her rival, Randy Bailey, would be voted out. In one of the most satisfying tribal councils in Survivor history, Randy played the fake idol and was sent to the jury with five votes against him. Sugar, along with her alliance of Kenny, Crystal, and Maddie, then took out Corinne. However, a risky move from Kenny made Sugar question her loyalty to both Crystal and Kenny, and she turned on them, successfully eliminating them at the next two tribal councils. At the final four, Sugar forced a tie between two of her closest allies, Maddie and Bob, giving Bob the chance he needed to make it into the final three. Despite Sugar playing an almost flawless strategic game, at the final tribal council, a bitter jury attacked Sugar on a deeply personal level, before giving her no votes and ultimately crowning Bob Crowley the winner of Survivor Gabon. Just three seasons later, Sugar returned to compete in Survivor Heroes vs. Villains, where she joined the Heroes Tribe. On day one, Sugar helped her tribe to win reward in an extremely <laughs> physical challenge, in which Sandra Diaz Twine tackled Sugar, unhooked her bra, which led to Sugar completing the challenge topless and flipping two middle fingers at Sandra. However, after the heroes failed to pull out a win at the immunity challenge, Sugar sadly became the first castaway voted out of that season. Sugar holds the record for the most visits to Exile Island. She had a 100% perfect voting record in Gabon, and she's the only contestant to ever receive zero votes in an entire season. Sugar has also appeared in Gilmore Girls, Judging Amy, Angel, and Weeds. We're thrilled to welcome her here to Drop Your Buffs. Hello, Sugar. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's Wait. like the best intro I've ever had. I saw you throwing, definitely... you were throwing your fingers up at the no votes in Survivor history. Are we wrong with that? I think Stephen is, uh, Stephen Fishbach is also a no votes because I remember he kept telling me that. <laughs> like, 
we're team no votes. And then somebody else, I think, came after us too. So Yeah, no, no votes to win. But I think Stephen got one vote during the game. Right? Your name was never um, written down in Gabon. Right. That's true. I think that's, I I think like, that's the zero votes. Is that right? Maybe I'm wrong. He saying that? He kept saying that. I mean... You better check the, you know, encyclopedia of the survivor. Yeah, we'll definitely bring that up. <laughs> but an acclaim is an acclaim, and, and we are throwing acclaim your way. Um, I want to start by asking how you... I don't know if that's you're... the best. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you have a survivor record to your name. Not not everybody has that. Um, tell me this much. We haven't heard from you in a while. How are you? Everyone is curious to know how you're doing. Uh, I'm really great. We just bought a house. My husband and I just bought it. Well, he bought it and my name is on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've been in like uh, a one bedroom, 900 square foot apartment for six years. And I had two small dogs that I had for 16, 17 years, uh, but they both passed away within six months of each other. But also my child is now almost six. So we have definitely outgrown it we were hanging on to it because the rent was cheap my friend owned the place when i came in here and uh and we it was doable it kept us close and so now we have a five bedroom house with a giant pool ah that's that's crazy like so i'm like in the middle of a ton of boxes and it's kind of chaotic but uh i'm pretty good (laughs) (laughs) i can definitely relate to the 900 square feet living myself in brooklyn so that is a a familiar number to hear oh so i I am i did live in brooklyn when they found me but i was like born in florida raised in louisiana and mostly lived in california for like uh 10 11 12 years before i moved to brooklyn for a short time and that's when they found me Mm. so it says that in like uh wikipedia and stuff but and I like that better than saying I was like born in Florida, so that's cool. Fair, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. from Brooklyn. Brooklyn's edgy. Hey, people always think that anyway. <laughs> so before you were recruited to play Survivor, you already had some impressive acting credits to your name, having appeared on Judging Amy, Gilmore Girls, and Angel. Uh, Sean and I are both huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fans, so that particular credit was very meaningful. You've said that Survivor, quote, fell into your lap. But I want to know, we want to know, how did you end up on Survivor? And did you have any hesitation about pivoting to reality television? Uh, yes, I had a lot of that. Thank you for asking that. Um, I, I, first off, when I first saw a billboard for Survivor, I was so young. I was like maybe 19 or 20 or something. And I had just kind of been in uh, LA for a little bit. And I was like, oh my God, they're taking this too far. It was really, the <laughs> I thought people were going to die. <laughs> I, really, I was like, oh, I just remember. And then, you know, like a lot of people, I watched the first episode or two or maybe the first season maybe. And then it wasn't really my thing, but I loved, uh, what's the cute girl's name? Colleen. Yeah, we love. She comedy. just like just she just like disappeared and doesn't want to. Mm. <laughs> Have do you guys know her? Have She's disappeared. Her? We would wow. like to know her. Yeah. We'll tell you that much. <laughs> I know. Me too. We love she her. Seems really cool. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah. So that was what I knew about Survivor, and so I had done a bunch of shows, and uh, I my first show was For Your Love. It was on the WB, and uh, it was like. Uh, Holly Robinson, Pete, and James LeSure, and a bunch of cool people, and Judy Pfeiffer, I played her little sister. Um, so I had been on TV for like nine years before I, my dad passed away, and I moved to New York to be with my ex-husband, and I uh, was just like 
not doing anything when they found me on a calendar for it was like a pinup calendar and it was like a dog charity I did for like three years it was like me and my dog who passed away major and uh and it's really cute <laughs> but I was like the cover coming up cover that year and you know they pre-sold the things and then uh it was on the internet and somebody from a show for CBS like uh America's Greatest Dog or something like that I don't know uh because <laughs> uh, I didn't care <laughs> they, they found me on that calendar and asked me to fly out with my dog and I was like oh I don't want to do reality because I'm like an, you know an actor and I don't like it was not like looked upon well it still isn't um so so uh but I had just moved to New York and I'd been gone for a couple months from LA and so I was like oh a free ticket back and then I like made it for like a week and stayed with friends with my dog and then came you know back to Brooklyn and uh oh my god uh Lynn was like Lynn's film the casting director was like <laughs> who were you in this audition for America's Greatest Dog? I was like, oh, you know, I was nervous, and I took a Xanax, and I, took it. And I was like, I don't care. I, don't I was like, I was like, I don't really want to be on this show. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, um, you know, the producer wasn't Mark hated me. I think so <laughs> because she's like. I didn't even recognize you, blah, blah, blah. And like, who were you? And I was like, oh, I was just like really relaxed. And also I don't want to be on this show. And I thank you for bringing me out. <laughs> and she's like, well, that's okay. Cause we want you for Survivor. And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> I was like, I've never peed outside. This is not my thing. Like, you know, God, he must really hate me. He wants me to like die. Out. <laughs> like, I mean, I knew people weren't dying out there by then. but. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, you get no, I'm not going to do well on this. So and then she sent me six seasons on DVDs. So like I got a huge bunch of stacks of uh, seasons. And me and my ex-husband, he was my ex at the time, we watched uh, it together. And, and he was, you know, I, we laughed and cried. And like, I, I was like, this is fucking cool. You know, <laughs> am I allowed to say that? You Sorry. can say whatever I, you I, want. I really <laughs> so he was like, "If you don't do this, like you're crazy, because everybody wants to do this." And uh, and I was like, mm, "Yeah, I guess because like I'm not doing anything else right now. I wasn't acting, and I was just like, you know, like just pretty much mourning. And it was it'd been a while, and I was like, yeah, maybe this is like the adventure or whatever that I really need. Like maybe this will help me. And uh, and so uh, then I went out for the like test and somehow passed it and then <laughs> and then uh you know the rest of this history <laughs> wow weird yeah it was an accident like i don't even know how it happened it was weird well it was a good accident for us well thank you i guess it was a good accident for me too <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you get out there to gabon survivor gabon was only the second season that was filmed in africa and still the last so far and unlike season three, you had some freedom to explore the environment. Uh, what was the environment like in Gabon? And do you have any memories from Gabon that didn't make it to air? Oh, a lot of things didn't make it to air. But um, I mean, <laughs> um, I never can forget when we got to dance with the natives, right? Okay, but it was like a special uh, religious holiday for them. And I don't know why they allowed us there. It was so crazy. And I don't know. I've never heard anybody talk about it. This is like really the most seriously crazy thing that happened. Um, I mean, 
they gave us like rice wine and like some kind of powdered I don't know, but we all took drugs. I'm not fucking kidding you. <laughs> we were all like crazy. They were, okay, the women were, okay, the men were off on some mountain, like all the men and the boys. And then all the women were like praying all night. They would sing and pray and then take rests, like take naps and then like get up and sing and pray. It was crazy. And we were all like crazy. <laughs> And they all had like war paint and like red paint. I don't know how much. They, I think maybe you see a little bit of it. Um, Randy like looks scary as well. <laughs> and then like also Maddie had crazy. And I was just like, oh, they're trying to steal Maddie. This can't happen. And I was just like, but I want to go to sleep because I'm on drugs and I'm tired. And <laughs> but I couldn't get over that we were. We have like a beautiful bed, all of us, and like uh, like a tent. I don't know how much. I don't remember how much of that they really showed. They really sh should have showed more of that. But it was like <laughs> it was like a battle between good and evil. Like uh, I can't believe that they didn't show more of that. But it, that was the most intense day for me. Like the rest of it was just like, oh my god, don't get killed. Who do I kill next? <laughs> and like. Most of it was convincing, like, Kenny and, and Crystal and Maddie, like, no, this is not a real, like, I'll show you on the immunity necklace, the one that Bob stole to make this thing. You see it's missing. Like, I know what's there, and, and it's not there now, and now it's on this thing. So come on, guys. <laughs> it's Bob. He keeps trying to do these, like, fake idols and shit. Yeah. Well... Speaking of the game itself, you are so undervalued as a strategist in Gabon, in my opinion, because you were able throughout the season to position yourself in the middle of two different alliances, like multiple different alliances. And for example, you decided the vote against Ace. Uh, you chose not to join the Onion Alliance, the so-called Onion Alliance, and you sent home Charlie. <laughs> you ensured Corinne's exit at a really tricky tribal then you were able to eliminate Crystal and Kenny just ahead of the end game. And throughout all of that, you were never a target. You never had a vote cast against you. How did you navigate the strategy <laughs> of the game? And why do you think you were never targeted? I literally have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I think Corinne thought maybe if I was at the end, nobody would vote for me and they'd vote for her. Maybe. I don't know why she never tried to like vote me out because she hated me from the beginning she's the reason mm. they kept sending me to exile but they didn't know that i would get fruit and comfort and i'm just like chilling <laughs> i'm just like <laughs> chilling and i was like i can't do anything about what they're talking about so i'm just gonna like you know meditate and pray and make up songs where i i i had this little kid song that i didn't want to sing they came and tried to like uh, videotape it, but I was like, mm, no, I read the contract. And if like I sing a song, they own it or something. If I make up a thing that they, they own it. So I was like, I'm going to keep this to myself. I wrote it down. I can't really remember. It was like monkey in a tree and stuff like that. It was like a kid's song. It was like, a, but anyways, I was, <laughs> I was like on top of that because I was like, this might be special for me later. Cause I do want to write children's books. Mm. I have, I just haven't edited them and tried to sell them because I have a fear of fairy fairies. <laughs> Fair enough. I think that's very relatable. I want to ask you about what has 
you know, throughout the lore become quite an iconic fashion moment. Um, it looked like you fashioned an outfit out of a burlap bag that was provi- that was excuse me that was provided as part of the production. Can you talk about how that burlap sack outfit came to be? Because I think it's really held up as one of the great Survivor outfits throughout time. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I got a lot of shit for that because uh, Charlie kept saying it was like his sack. So like maybe maybe once he was gone, he forgot his sack. And so I had my sack and there was an extra sack. So I turned it into that. But I think eventually I turned my other sack into one too. But I can't remember. I don't know. I didn't get shit from them then. I just heard about it later in the last, you know, 13 years or whatever. I'm like, I don't remember it being his, but whatever. <laughs> he was gone you know Siri like stole my sweater before I left I kept asking everybody on you know heroes and villains where's my sweater does anybody know where my sweater is and you know you're not allowed to steal things like it's against the rules and nobody ever said anything and I can't say shit about Siri because everybody loves her but whatever I got off the couch too Okay, <laughs> and it's a, it came out about, you know in a different way, but I got off the couch too. I was just on the couch. Totally. Um, <laughs> but anyway, let me ask you about this because you mentioned Charlie, and there have always. Oh, wait, wait, oh go ahead. Yeah. Wait, be- I'm so sorry. Before you go on to this thing, remember where you're at. Uh, but the burlap sack thing was like a Marilyn Monroe thing because she did put on it like a potato sack, you know, because ah. somebody was like she'd look better in a potato sack. There's two different stories, or. Um, somebody was like, she, she would even look good in a potato sack for, as, so as like a publicity thing, she had a potato sack and I made one just like I wrote the potato company and they sent me the same exact kind of thing. And I, uh, anyway, somebody else, else bought me a couple of broken exact same potato. I digress. This is all Marilyn Monroe crap. I'm obsessed, but, I love that. <laughs> but that's where that idea came from. And so that's why I made the sack. See, I'm glad we asked because, uh, yeah, well, because there's a whole like history here that's not just, oh, this is convenient. I'm going to put this on. So I like that. Yeah, it it definitely had the history in my. Yeah, totally. (laughs) You mentioned Charlie and I want to ask you a question that just to see if you have any insights around this. There's always been rumors that Kenny may have been targeting Charlie as the first post-merge boot because Charlie is gay. The only on-screen indication we have of this is that Kenny says, quote, not to be homophobic, but in his voting confessional against Charlie. I know this doesn't directly affect you, but I'm just wondering wondering if you have any insight into Kenny's feelings towards Charlie, or did you hear any homophobic comments at camp? At that exact time? No, I didn't hear any homophobic uh, comments at camp, I don't think. Uh, I, I think I'd remember, but... But Kenny, yeah, he was out to get Charlie. And I don't I didn't know why, because I really liked Charlie. I would have saved Charlie. He would have been the last onion out and he might have gone all the way to the end. Uh, but Kenny was really like um, obsessed with getting Charlie out for some reason, because I was like, no, please, Corinne, please, please. You know, it's got to be Corinne or Randy, one of these two assholes and they wouldn't do it they wouldn't do it and I didn't I wasn't like in the in the power you know position right then so and for some reason it was uh Kenny and so and he got a big head and he thought he was gonna yeah but I think it started with him like convincing me to kill sorry snuff uh ace you know so 
which was a yeah. pretty good. I don't know if uh, I really don't know. I think Ace would have dropped me eventually, and he might have been doing it right then. So I have no idea if it was a good idea or not. And like Ace has forgiven me, so I think he knew he was going to kill me later. So whatever. Like we took a road trip afterwards. Like it's like I'm cool with Ace. Interesting. Well, your feud with Randy was television gold. And I think about the Survivor auction where Randy was really set on getting this uh, pint of beer or bottle of beer and you just kept upping the price, seemingly just out of spite or like to be funny. And then, of course, we get Cookie Gate where Randy orders a plate of cookies and uh, shares with the tribe and you take his final cookie and hand it over to Maddie. So I'm just curious, what were your feelings towards Randy in the game? And was he as hard to get along with as was depicted in the show? Oh my God. <laughs> he was terrible <laughs> in the game. Like, I was, I was like, is he trying to be, is it the goat or whatever that you bring along? Because yeah. you think nobody's going to vote for them because they're a dick. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> he was totally totally uh was not fun in the game and then after the game like he was always nice to me at events and like come up and like literally every single time i saw randy at any event anywhere he would take a picture kissing me and stuff like that so i had like five or six different pictures of him kissing me and uh this there's like a weird thing that happened okay so like he called me I think he called me with like a group of students maybe because he's been like sub substitute teaching, right? So he oh. called me with like a bunch of kids in the background and left the message on my answering machine, but he didn't try to leave a message. He just like didn't hang up the phone and they're like, what was that? And he was like, you know, oh, she's got a kid because my kid says bye. And she sounds like a mm-hmm. little cartoon character on the thing. And then... uh and so I, and then he, I don't know, it was just like, seemed like somebody had my number and I didn't, I didn't recognize his voice and he didn't say, Hey, it's Randy or anything like that. So this is such an interesting story. <laughs> so then, um, it just seemed like some weird, I did get a weird call the other day. Anyway. So I was like, gave the phone to my husband and I said, I don't know who the fuck this is, <laughs> but please call them back and like rip them a new one. And so he did. <laughs> And then I can hear Randy saying, this is Randy from Capone. And I'm like, oh, babe, no, it's Randy. And he doesn't stop. He just keeps going. Like, Nick, my husband just keeps going. And then I was like, oh, my God, you can hear me saying, this is Randy. It's Randy. I just, like... Anyway, um, uh, I never really called Randy to apologize for that because I didn't know if he was pranking me or what the fuck that was because he didn't try to leave a message. <laughs> so I was like... It happened how it happened. So anyway, and then like soon afterwards, he did a podcast and he was like, called me a failed actress. And I was like, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, Randy. So anyway, I guess we're back. uh, We're back in the feud. (laughs) (laughs) Unintentionally. But, you know, I... I, I feel for Randy and I, I don't think he's a total dick. I think he, uh, you know, men have feelings too, as you know. And uh, I think that's why he always was so nice to me when we'd see each other. Like he wanted me to know that he's not a total dick. And that was just like in the game kind of stuff or whatever. Mm. But uh, I don't know. If, you, if you're watching this, Randy, I'm sorry. Um, can we just end the feud? <laughs> Please. <laughs> I have such a hard time picturing Randy in front of a group of children. 
<laughs> but I mean, like he's like Survivor famous, so he's probably yeah. just loving it. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. I hope. I hope he is. You know, I hope he's happy doing whatever he's doing now. I guess yeah. he's still doing that. Another iconic moment was when, of course, you convinced Bob to give his fake immunity idol to Randy before voting him out. After the fact, Randy said that he knew that idol was fake. I'm just wondering from your perspective, what was that Randy tribal like? And do you think he suspected the idol was fake? No, there's no way that he suspected (laughs) that idol was fake. Um, And if so, then I guess he wanted it to go down exactly like it went down. And I thought, because he was such a fan, I thought like, He's trying to do this in an epic way, so let's do this and, like, let's give him his moment, you know? <laughs> I thought I was doing him a favor. But, <laughs> but anyway, when Crystal went up there and started screaming, I was like, oh, my God. I could not stop. Do you know what it's like to get the giggles and then, like, not be able to stop? And, the church like, giggles. Yes, and plus, we were, like, high on the game and like you know i was all high on power too and like i knew this shit was going to go down and like i i don't know i like tried to explain it to them but i knew i kept telling them like just wait just wait do not just vote how we're voting just wait don't get scared and because they kept like bob kept trying to convince them of stuff and i'm like jesus bob i'm on your side like anyways Bob just really wanted to keep Corinne because she'd been in the game with them so long and they were like, you know, he was yeah. like totally the fifth or whatever in that alliance. So like, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. He didn't see my love for him. He didn't understand my love for him is what it was. Like, you know what I mean? Well, that's one of the interesting things about Gabon is the alliances are so fluid in that season in a way that they are in modern seasons, but this wasn't a modern season. And so it was kind of the first time we were seeing that approach and I, I don't think it gets enough respect for that I mean it, you, you played it like a modern game um, and and it was well before anybody was thinking that way so I'm also curious because you had all of these different allegiances and when you were in an alliance you were so loyal to that alliance but you would also Until. turn on it yeah yeah so like for much of the post-merge game you were really close to Crystal and Kenny and and then after Kenny fell out with Maddie you turned on them and it's clear you're close to Bob throughout, like you say, and you even refer to Maddie as your brother in the game. So what was your ideal final three? And were Crystal and Kenny ever really in the mix? Uh, because it's a game and I'd been on, uh, um, you know, the, at the Sugar Sack so long, like I didn't uh, really have that much real alliance to anybody. And it was, uh, this is the most interesting thing to me. Um, at the very beginning, before we started the game, CBS did like interviews, and um, it looks like it's on VHS tape. It's so old. <laughs> when I go back and look, I was like, "Holy crap!" Like, how old are we now? Uh, anyways, so uh, they asked me, "Did anybody catch your eye that you might want to align with, or that you liked?" You know, because we had to talk to each other, just like you know, taking little classes on things that are you know edible and not edible, and like poisonous, and you know what kind of snakes or whatever. And uh, so we, but we weren't allowed to talk. Um, So I said in the CBS interview, I said, I, there was a man with a bow tie and he draws in his little book. And I, you know, I like him and there's a woman, she's like Spanish and she has like a t-shirt with her kid's picture on it. And I like her. Those are the only two people I mentioned. And they are the two people that are in the final three Mm. with me. So like, 
it, it is weird. Like I've thought of this a lot afterwards. Like um, maybe I'm psychic. <laughs> I don't know. I just know, like you know, yeah, Susie did like have the gift of gab, <laughs> but like she was toler. I could tolerate her, and she was nice, and she worked well, and like she, you know, uh, everybody else, like the people in the Onion group, not so much Charlie, but you know, Randy and Corinne were really hard to listen to when they were on the Fong Tribe for that couple of days. Like they're driving me and Maddie crazy with their like negative energy and like all they did was complain they never said they never, like they were just like Ugh, like why like things suck already for us like we don't need to hear negativity is just making like life worse you know Right. But one of the great things from the viewer perspective about that setup was I feel like because Corinne and Randy were perceived as so villainous from the viewers, it was fun when we as an audience realized that you were in a power position to be able to knock them out. And it's one of my favorite things that happens rarely on Survivor when you see two players who are kind of, you know, are evil in a sense i mean i'll say it um and you see that they're going to go home like they're the odds are stacked against them um i don't know they really thought they were in the lead the whole time didn't they mm -hmm. it's they were like we're the onions <laughs> i didn't hear about that until later but i was like that makes sense like i eat onions for breakfast man i love onions. <laughs> I love that. Um, I'm curious of this cast of Gabon, who are you still in touch with today? Anyone? I mean, I talked to Maddie, Susie, Bob, and like everybody else, mostly just like here and there on like Instagram or whatever, like cute kid or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, wow, you have five now. What? <laughs> I think Paloma has five kids. She might have four, but like it's oh, wow. a lot of kids. Yeah, and she's so tiny and cute. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, you made so many babies. And she's adorable and does like good for the world. I love her. I love Paloma. I feel bad that like I was so flippant about her leaving. I was like, oh, she's tinier than me. Bye. <laughs> like I really thought I liked her, you know. Um, but I was just like grateful that there were smaller people than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that um, happened, y'all. <laughs> One of the defining stories of Gabon is that you are grieving the recent loss of your father. We even see that you have the opportunity to spread some of his ashes near the camp with your sister. The fact that you played such a pivotal role in the game throughout the entire 39 days is very impressive given the emotional weight you were under. How was the experience of working through your grief while playing this game? Well, um, there, you know, when I was at the Sugar Shack that whole time, I think it was like, 10 days or something right so um every single time i went uh it was just i kind of just like meditated and prayed and like i really felt like my dad helped me find that idol when it was weird like uh because i would think i'd look around at the options of you know what the clue could be and then i'd be like that's it but also you know since i was on shows like I I, I kind of had a sense of the artistic direction <laughs> I thought maybe like that's the best tree for that shot you know and so <laughs> that's maybe how I did it too but also I did feel like my dad was with me but um that the 10 days at the sugar shack was like actually very uh helpful to me um and it kept me calm because I do have a lot of anxiety and um what was the second part of that question 
I forgot. I'm just, you know, wondering, but yeah, I mean, you're answering it right now, but just sort of like what it was like, it's already a very challenging game, right? It's like the circumstances that you're under and you mentioned you have anxiety. You're also thrown into the middle of like Africa in the desert. And then on top of that, you're going in there in a heightened emotional state with like some frailty because of your recent circumstances. And on top of that, you have tribe members who are treating you like shit. There's just a lot of compounding elements that I imagine would have made your experience harder than most people that play this game. Thank you. I'll take that. That I mean, I never really thought about it that way, but uh, it I was pretty messed up by the end. Like it was a lot. Like um, I guess, I, I guess the, the psych says this to everybody when they get in the van at the very end, like, because you've been there on the thing for 39 days. She, they, she says, uh, what well, she said to us, Bob and me and Susie, she was like, okay, for the next year, don't change where you live, where you work, or who you're dating. Okay. I did all that. I changed all that. Uh, <laughs> I did not heed the warnings. She said, you're going to want to pee outside. You're going to want to, like, eat whatever. You're going to be eating all the time. All that, you know. <laughs> I didn't be outside like randomly in the city, but um, yeah, like I didn't really take those warnings. Uh, it messed me up. And I, uh, like I married a director that I was doing like a couple weeks later, I went to do a film in Louisiana. We never even finished it. Um, Cause I married the director in Vegas, <laughs> came back. We just didn't finish the film. Then I got annulled, you know, like a month later or whatever. But um Oh my God! You know, uh, Mr. Belding was in the film. Oh like, well, no, you'll oh, never yeah. see it. <laughs> Dennis uh, Haskins. First, yeah, Dennis. And he, the very first scene that we shot together, he's like in between my legs because <laughs> he's like a doctor and he's like inserting something. Anyways, uh, I love Dennis. He's very cool, and uh, he's he's hooked us up for a couple of things. But anyways, um, what was? The, yeah, I, I was. So I married some random person I didn't know, and then annulled, and then so that was my second husband. I'm on my third, but we're good now. <laughs> Three times lucky. Hey, third times Chad. That's right. <laughs> well, at the final tribal council, you endured some incredibly nasty and deeply personal and hurtful comments, in my opinion, and probably in yours as well. We saw Corinne, of course, deliver possibly the most bitter jury speech in Survivor history and cruel speech at that. What do you remember about that final tribal? And was there ever a point where in your head you thought, this isn't worth it? <laughs> <laughs> By that point, I was bloop, like totally like I was like just operating on um, like I, I wasn't in control. Like if things were just happening and, and right before the final tribal, I started having a panic attack. I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. I felt like I was going to throw up. I didn't know if I was going to pass out. I was like, ah, uh, like I knew that there's a witch in the fucking jury talking shit about me, probably making up things crazy. And like, we've heard her say crazy shit. <sighs> I don't even know what like set her off so bad. But anyways, um, yeah. So I was like, they're going to fucking, they all, like, <laughs> I killed them all. Not all of them, but most of them were my doing, you know? So I was like having a serious panic attack and I'm, I don't think I'd ever had one before. And I was like, oh, <laughs> and they said, okay, we're going to give you this shot if you want it. If you, if it could make you go into convulsions or it could just make you really, really relaxed. And I was like, give me the drugs. And so they gave me a shot 
And then I was fucking relaxed. And then, <laughs> and then uh, I don't know if it was like true serum or what was in that stuff, but I was just like, here we go. Let's do it. And I'm like, my <laughs> So like, that's how I was like relaxed enough not to jump across the fire and murder someone on television. <laughs> but, uh, I was just like, whatever. Fucking. Oh. <laughs> oh my god, just beep that out, please. I don't want the kids to hear that. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah. We'll beep it. Okay. <laughs> but I did like she you know, the things that she said to me, um, oh, uh like I'm she was making fun of me growing up poor. Okay. So I for a short time we had food stamps. She asked me about all this stuff and then tried to use it against me like some mean girl shit. Because that's how they be. Uh, so, so she made fun of me being poor, growing up poor. Um, and the other thing was I uh, uneducated because I didn't go to college. She went to like a party school, whatever. I was on TV at that time. I was with William Morris Agency on recurring on For Your Love. At the same time that she's like, in, you know, I learned by living. Like I, you know, school of life. And I'm, you know, doing okay. <laughs> anyway, so that's the two things I think she was making fun of me. Oh, and the fact that my father has passed. Like, her father's going to die, too. You know? Maybe she doesn't love him. I don't know what her life is like. But um, somebody's going to die one day that hurts her, and then she'll f understand, you know? Right. It's not easy to get over stuff mm. like that. Well, I have to imagine there was more to that tribal that didn't air, and I'm wondering if there was any fallout. I was yelling crazy shit, like, oh, you, you're fucking some man that's married with kids. Fake tits, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I said all kinds of shit. I was on <laughs> drugs. I was like, blah. I don't have, <laughs> I, I knew I wasn't going to win. Like, I, I said shit. They did not air. <laughs> Well, then that might taint my question. And then, I, then I told them I was an actor. I never told them I was an actor before. I said I was a 50s diner waitress and a Marilyn Monroe impersonator. I kept denying. They kept asking if I was. I kept denying that I was an actor. And then at the end, then I was like, yeah, I've been sagged for like 10 years. And, you know, I've been on a couple of shows, like, you know, Gilmore Girls making out with Milo. Like, so <laughs> I was so like, <laughs> but was there any, there's no surprise. Was there any fallout <laughs> from any of the <laughs> other casts, given the fact that I feel like that Corinne moment, the reason why it's remembered so much is because it's a very below the belt comment that has nothing to do with the game itself. Um, and is just actually made with the sole intent to hurt you. And being that mm -hmm. it's the circumstance, the rare circumstance that you have the entire jury present, I'm just wondering, and being that you went from that jury speech over to Ponderosa, was there any fallout from that? And knowing the fact that the two of you were going to have to be together at the reunion and ostensibly in the same room together for some time to come at, you know, whether it be reunions or what have you, was there any fallout or anything that we didn't see that happened after the tribal? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't. I never watched Ponderosa or whatever. But I know when we came out, they like gave me this orange shirt and like khaki pants, and I looked awful. And like my skin was so much darker than this like neon orange like shirt. I just like when I saw my teeth, I was like, oh my god, they look so white on TV later. But like, I think it's because when we got out, I like drank some red. Wine. 
wine and just like stuck to all the crap on my teeth. And I looked in the mirror later and I was like, <gasps> I was like mortified. But yeah, she had either been like talking, like making up stuff or like just making sure everybody was against me. So it was really awful when it came out and like they gave us some um, food and drinks and everything and everybody's partying and she's all be like, oh, Bob. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then she's, oh my God. Yeah, it was really fucking hard. And then I just went and I was like, oh, I got to go shave. <laughs> like use two disposable razors on my entire body. And like, uh, I was just like, I, I was such a mess. And and uh, I didn't, I didn't, I just went from that back to Brooklyn and then to shoot a movie. And, and, uh, and I was just like, not right. I was like, not in a good headspace. Like I made crazy decisions. So, yeah, uh, it was like, and then I did the show again later. So anyway, a Ponderosa, I don't know if you guys saw any of that, but it really sucked for me. <laughs> Everybody was a dick pretty much. And then, <laughs> I mean, like, like later, like maybe the next day, I don't know, like Maddie was mad and then like, and, uh, and, uh, God, um, what are their names? <laughs> What's the little guy and the big woman? Kenny and uh, Crystal. <laughs> yes, thank you. They were they were like really mad at me and like like saying stuff to me, and I was just like, oh man, I cannot even handle this. Like uh, I don't I don't understand why they. Were, I guess because they got close, and then you know I, I guess I could understand that. Yeah, I, I guess I'd be really mad if uh, I was convinced I was like with this person, and then they cut me through. So I guess I can understand. Yeah. <laughs> but I think like, I think Kenny is still like messed up about it. You know, he just, he thinks that we all hate each other and that's not true. Like, like I don't really hate anybody. And, uh, I mean, I don't understand people <laughs> or why, I mean, maybe, you know, without me, there'd be no her, you know what I mean? Like, so she needs to keep this up. I, it's stupid, but what are you going to do? Mm. <laughs> Like, hopefully we never see each other again. But, you know, it's probability. I do charities and she doesn't, so probably not. So yeah. She'll just go to the parties and I'll do the charity stuff. So that's fine. This, <laughs> this is such a unique season because I feel like in most cases, we like we talked to Courtney recently and she talked about, you know, sh she did not get along with Russell and Heroes versus Villains and then the game ends and now they're friends. This mm -hmm. is a season where the game just seems to have continued on, at least for some people, like Corinne and Kenny. They're like they're just they're still living this psychosis that they had in the game and and can't let it go. And I don't I don't know what's up with that, but I'm sure a lot of people uh, probably are from all their different games. Like it's I don't know what you would call it, but then there's also the people that are like, bring me back. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, man, they they got it bad, like Stockholm Central. Yeah. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you get home, you make all these crazy decisions, like you say, and then you have to relive it a few months later because it starts to air. So how did you feel about your survivor experience once Gabon started airing? And and did anything change for you as a result of seeing uh, all the things that you didn't see, all those conversations you weren't a part of, and how the edit was portraying you? Um, that was pretty much how it happened. Uh, uh, it was kind of funny to see uh, Corinne keep saying, I got her, I got Jeff, I mean, sugar, <laughs> I got, and funny to hear her have to say sugar, too. Uh, sugar, <laughs> I got, I got her, she's with us, ah. and then, and then later I'm like, mm, like, I have, like, I know 
what she's doing the whole time. Like, she's such a dick the whole time. And then she's, like, really nice to me one day. And she thought she had me. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, how does she believe? I'm a good actor, I guess. Um, yeah, she never had me, obviously. But that was fun to watch. And then, like, also, it was fun to watch me eat all that fruit. <laughs> I was like, like, this is funny. <laughs> We love the sugar shock. I mean, the sugar shock lives on on social media. I mean, it really does. It's just sort of one of those memes that people really do love revisiting the sugar shock because it exists nothing like it on any other season. Somebody, uh, a fan is making me a 3D, like they have the whatever, 3D machine or whatever. I'm going to make me one. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I can have like a little display somewhere of like a little I'll pretend I'm a tiny version of me. It's in there. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a person that I just came across that makes uh, um, remakes of all the uh, idols. And so uh -huh. he's sending me one of the idols, my idol, and Bob's, and the fake Bob one, too. Oh, so I'm excited to get that. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. Now, you later appeared on Celebrity Rehab and revealed to the cast of that show that you'd used drugs since you were a teenager, and the only time that you'd ever taken a break was during Survivor. And I'm curious, and again, walk me back if this is a conversation that you'd rather not go down, but I'm wondering what that was like for you and if you were going through withdrawal at all on the show. I know in Survivor Panama, his name is slipping my mind right now. Um, Sean, do you know who I'm talking about? Who was- Are you talking about Shane? Shane, yes. Shane was a cigarette or? smoker. Um, yes, that guy, yes. And he <laughs> talked a lot after the game about sort of the effects of not having alcohol and cigarettes on Survivor, how that affected him and his mental state. And I'm just curious, uh, again, the extent you're comfortable comfortable talking about it, what that was like for you to go into this game and, and what you were experiencing as a result of withdrawal? Um, well, at the time I was drinking, smoking a lot of pot. I still love the weed and the CBD. Um, <laughs> I feel we like love. I should plug my friend right now. Maybe we can add it later. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but I w I had been taking Xanax to like calm my anxiety and um, just to not be sad all the time. Uh, and so I did not have that. So yeah, there was like probably a few tears shed, not like uh, to the extent that she said, but you know. Uh, it was really rough, and I uh, wasn't, like, a, a fan to where I was dying for this experience. It was just something that happened to me, and I was, like, kind of stuck in this weird... I felt like Alice in Wonderland, you know, without the drugs. Mm. <laughs> I was like, what? I don't know. I'm just going to go with the flow and see what happens, you know? You mentioned these two experiences. I mean, one happened and you mentioned one of the reward challenges in which it sounds like some sort of substance was offered that rendered we you and yeah, okay. wine and some powder. Like, I don't okay, know. so there's there's that and then there's the alcohol at Ponderosa. And I'm just curious, did you feel at all any hesitation about having drugs of any kind near you given the current the state that you were in at the time and also knowing that I imagine production was aware of your circumstances and I, I just one thing that I'm curious if you could thread the needle on it all is I would think production would want to keep alcohol away from you in you know having your psych test on it and knowing your past do you look at that as any kind of strange thing in retrospect that they allowed you to be around alcohol and to put that temptation in front of you they like welcomed like they had all the alcohol like out not like a bartender it was just like we were drinking all day long you know after, like on ponderous and he was in villains and 
And so we know the story with that. Maybe we don't, so I'll tell it. Um, <laughs> um, I had been doing okay. Uh, Randy came out. I had a drink waiting for him. I was welcoming him. Um, when Siri, and then, um, oh, what's the beautiful hardcore girl's name? And then she came out. Uh, then, then Siri came out, and who stole my sweater. <laughs> and then she kept saying stuff like, uh, JT is still talking shit about you and how you're obsessed with him. Okay, here's a story. Like, I met him in Kentucky. We slept together. He, on one of the psych t days that, you know, come out for a couple of days to get psych test in L.A., then that last night, he said he was going to leave early. Last night, uh, he came and spent the night with me. I went and picked him up and brought him to Hollywood and then brought him back to the airport the next day. Um, so I thought we were in some sort of alliance. <laughs> and so she comes out saying, you know, obviously he was not in an alliance with me because I ended up snuffed. <laughs> but she comes out saying all this stuff like he's still talking about you. And it really hurt on top of uh, already trying to just maintain and I grew later on, everybody was, you know, in their little metal square trailers uh, <laughs> that have showers in them. And that's like a weird where they put us. Um, I went and got like all the pills <laughs> and figured out like, you know, I had a handful of this, handful of this, handful of this and I put them on my bed. And I was like, maybe ready to go. And then I said, you know, I want to talk to psych. So I asked somebody to get me psych and they were like an hour away. So, and I had taken Xanax and drinking that day. So when they got there, I fell asleep before they got there. And I woke up and I had IVs in my arms. I had not taken any, um, I had not tried to do anything. I just wanted to talk to psych. But then, then they wanted to give me a blood test. So they took me to Australia because the next, you know, they didn't have it quick enough uh, in Africa. I mean, in Samoa. So then we get to Australia, which I would have been dead if I had taken pills by the time, you know. But they wanted to just cover their ass and they did a blood test and realized I didn't take anything. So then me and my handler hung out for like a few days in Australia. And then I came home early instead of going to mm. Fiji and doing, which I could not have done with everybody not in that state. So, yeah. <laughs> so it was a long, really long thing back. That's when I did celebrity rehab. And, you know, after that, I was like, oh, I can't do L.A. So I went back to Louisiana. I moved back to Louisiana for like a year and a half, met my husband and then came back to L.A. Once I was like, all right, we're going to get this. <laughs> but a lot of stuff happened in between there. I got a DUI. It was on uh, TMZ. It was local news for like a week. And I was just trying to be a waitress and like live like a normal person. And it was very hard. Um, so we're in a good place now. New house, husband, baby. I mean, six-year-old almost. So good. <laughs> Do you feel as though those circumstances, because you have been a bit of a recluse in the survivor community, it seems by choice that you kind of, and, and correct me if you feel differently, but it seemed like you kind of wanted to scale back your presence in a way that, as you mentioned, there are these players out there that have their hands up at the ready to return, that kind of make their whole personal identity or public identity rather survivor based. You have chosen the opposite path. Do you think it had anything to do, was that a choice that you made because of the circumstances that happened on Heroes versus Villains or, or sort of was there something that led you to sort of stay back from the fandom in a way? Well, um, besides being bad at computers, <laughs> <laughs> um, we weren't really allowed to do social media or that we were told not to or whatever at the beginning in the after, after, you know, Gabon. So then I, I 
like purposefully, I was like scared of that, you know, fine. It was like a big contract. I saw, you know, I, I wasn't allowed to talk about anything. So I was kind of like staying back. But then after Heroes and Villains, um, you know, I was, uh, I, did, I just didn't think anybody cared, I guess. Like, <laughs> I just didn't think anybody was paying attention to my social or anything like that. And uh, I've been private, you know, my, my real Instagram is private. Um, I just want to make my getting like weird fake people. That's all. Um, but, uh, also just being an actor, it's not really that cool to be so available, you know? So, uh, I'm, I'm available for charities. I do a lot of charity stuff, uh, mostly children's things. Um, so pretty much every month I'm almost doing something. Um, but that's kind of my thing. It's like, I, I try and help with, with whatever little, you know, fandom that I have or whatever from Gilmore Girls and those and, you know, a little bit from weeds. I have fans from weeds, but uh, it's <laughs> not my favorite kind of fan, I guess. <laughs> so I want to rewind back a little bit because we got into Heroes versus Villains, but I want to go back from you first getting the call about Heroes versus Villains. Um, I'm sure you're aware. I mean, we've had, we're now in season 41 of Survivor, and Heroes versus Villains is still regarded by the majority of the fandom. Uh, as the best season of all time. And you were a part of this cast, which really is just uh, the most stacked lineup the show has ever had, even in their all winter season. This still beats it out. You come away from Gabon. Uh, you mentioned that sort of the instructions that you were given about how to live your life coming out afterwards, you kind of were like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go my own way. So when you got that call, what <laughs> compelled you to want to go back and play the game again? Because the sense I get is that you were not overly eager to put your hand up and say, I'll do this again. Um, well, <laughs> I was still probably pretty crazy, I think. Um, I don't think I was really altogether there, but also like when you get asked, it's just like, Oh, me? Um, yeah, so, but also I thought I was some cool shit and stuff. So, yeah, I was like, ogre, I'm fine. Let's do this. And, like, I was, you know, the only person I trusted to have my back was JT. And he, like, literally went around telling everybody to kill me first. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. I was, like, you know, probably not, you know, all together there. <laughs> and, you know, it fed my ego to go back. So, I mean, at least I had that shining moment, but also huge embarrassment where they make it look like I'm really like into this, you know, egghead. This like uh, egghead is a smart guy, but, but he, his face, like his head is like, uh, I don't know why I say that. His head is shaped like that. But I, no, I was after the guy with the underbite and the beer belly. I don't know why. <laughs> like, this is how crazy I am at this point. Um, anyways, uh he played me in real life instead of, you know, in the game or whatever. He played me. It was very fucked up. And uh, that's what really sent me over the edge, I think, when Siri came out saying that shit. Hmm. Plus, she stole my sweater. But anyway. <laughs> no bitterness around that at all. Yeah, it's all yeah, water under the bridge, right? Check it out. After I leave, she's wearing it. Anyways. Um, so besides JT, did anybody else contact you before the game? I know pregame alliances are a big thing in returning seasons, and I'm just curious. Or if not, is there anybody that you would have liked to have worked with on Heroes vs. Villains that you didn't get the chance to? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, everybody? Uh, so, so Courtney and Todd actually called me because they're friends with Steven oh. and stuff, and they, they kind of 
like, oh, congratulations. They they heard and they were like, congratulations, good luck, you know, just have a good time. It's like your first out, have fun in Fiji. And they like kind of knew I'd be first out or something. And they kind of, I felt like a warning, but I was, you know, okay, whatever, guys. And then later on, I was like, I keep remembering that. And I mentioned it to Courtney at one point. She doesn't remember, but I think they were trying to like warn me <laughs> that I might be first out. But um, yeah, I really wanted to get to work with like almost all the villains. Like I love, well, mm. it would have been cool to work with Randy actually. Um, but I would have loved, like I love Coach. And like, I think at the time it did not like Tyson. I love Tyson now, but like at the time it didn't like Tyson. I don't know why. Um, something that happened in Utah, I guess. But <laughs> but, uh, but I think we're cool now. Uh, but I really wanted to work with Sandra. I wanted to be Sandra's little, like, mm. anything you say, just take me with you. <laughs> I wanted to, like, I was, like, fine being third or whatever. I just really wanted to work with Sandra. She's just so fun to be around. I love her. She's the same in real life. She's super fun to be around. I'd love to get to see her. That would have been amazing to watch. It's a shame we didn't. Uh, we talked, so we talked to Courtney, like I said, and she talked about the stark difference between her experience playing playing in China and playing in Samoa in terms of the environment, the amount of food that was available. That she said it wasn't quite as hard. Um, did you notice a difference between Gabon and Samoa in that respect, in the survival aspect of things? Um, yeah, for me. Um, Africa was like in the, in the, like, I guess the, the wet season or whatever, but it wasn't, it never rained or anything like that. And so we were really pretty okay. Just really dirty in Africa, but in Samoa, it rained like every day. It was very tropical <laughs> and, you know, and I'm from Louisiana and I'm like, don't like that weather, but you know, it, it made like raining and like nobody, I didn't have anybody close. So yeah. It, and I didn't know who to talk to really, you know, I guess I should have really talked to, yeah, the weather was very different, uh, but I should have talked to, um, God, why is everybody's name? There's so many people. It, it's been a while. Uh, <laughs> he's yeah. a gray hair, older man. Oh, um, Tom. Tom. I Tom should have really, yeah. really, and he kind of said something like spoke up for me kind of like why her or whatever. But, um, mm. you know, it was really quick, short lived and I saw it and I was like, Oh shit. I really should have like worked with Tom, tried to get be under Tom's wing, but um, Rupert <laughs> it was fun working with Rupert. But uh, he, it was fun to get to work with Rupert, but he wasn't really fun, as fun as I thought he would be. We've <laughs> <laughs> heard that a lot about Rupert. Yeah, I feel like yeah, Rupert's one of those uh, legends whose status has gone down in the ensuing years uh, just because, I don't know, maybe uh, something is best enjoyed in, in small doses, and there's a heavy dose of Rupert in Survivor history. Um, I don't want to retread the JT situation uh, at all, really, but I do want to ask one thing that you brought up that I can't help but be curious about. You mentioned that your mental state coming out of Gabon and, you know, tell me if you feel differently, if I'm mischaracterizing it, but that you weren't in the best place. And you talked about the mental, the psych evaluation that happens preseason. And I'm just wondering now that you have 10, 11 years of hindsight, looking back on it, do you think that you should have gone uh, to uh, Samoa for heroes versus villains? Is there a part of you that wishes that production or someone else would have stepped in and been like, you know what? 
now is not the best time to have you be on the show for your own health and well-being. They don't care about your health or well-being, especially or your mental state. They'd rather you be crazy because they want to use you for the show. You know what I mean? They make money off you forever. You don't make residuals. Your life is out there forever and they will never stop making money off of you. So, yeah, they would prefer you crazy and nobody's about to step in and be like, hey, they, I didn't get a lot of help. They, they mm -hmm. did have to pay for psych because they like were watching their own ass again. But anyways, um, yeah, they it's money, man. It's fucking Hollywood. It's money. I mean, on, on TV shows where you're working with these people for a long time, it's a little different. People become family. But this is like, what well, we've done with you, like you, we've used you and you're, you know, maybe we'll call you back. But you never hear from them. You don't get like a, a mass like Christmas email that says, hey, you know, cast a survivor. You know, like it'd be nice if they did reach out to everybody like that. You know, one time Lynn was like, make sure you have we have your emails in case you, we want you back and that was like the only time i ever heard from them you know it would be nice if they kind of like made us feel like family but we make us feel like family you know like they're cousins you know everybody's cousins and then they're like and then like big brother people that we see at uh charity events they're like our weird uncle or <laughs> <laughs> they're all like they're t they're different you know what i mean but you know yeah I like a lot of them. <laughs> I don't watch the show, so like I only see like tons of stuff on my Twitter of it. Like, like I don't understand what's happening, but like people yeah. love it. It's weird. People eat up other people's lives. Like they, I don't know why we're doing this. Like this reality thing. It's so crazy to me. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. But I was never. I mean, I, I could tell you why, but we don't have enough it's time. It's fucked up. Well, <laughs> you don't have to really. <laughs> but I do think there's a difference. Because I'm one well, of But I do people. think there's a difference between like there are people that I think there's a, a multitude of kinds of viewers that exist on these shows. Um, but I think that there are people that watch it because you know with. I don't want to say malicious intent, but with the desire to see people completely unravel. But I also think there's a huge swath of fandom out there that genuinely love the adventure or watching the strategizing happen and go in there wanting to find heroes like your Colby's or, you know, like your Sandra's, even though she's dubbed a villain, but she's not a villain. Oh, she's, a no, she's a hero. Yes. Um, but so I, I definitely think that it's not a monolith that watches the show, but I think there are a lot of people and, you know, even this current season, how they're digging so much into the young fans. I think there's a lot of moral value that comes into play in the show. And that's why it's all the more interesting talking to you about this Corinne moment in the final tribal, because I think that's one of those moments when the show dipped into sort of being that salacious reality television that so many people that don't want to like reality TV, like that was a great example to of like the argument that they would use about why this is such a toxic part of our culture. But I also think yeah. there have been a lot of moments on Survivor and other reality shows that have been really human and, and really, I mean, talk about mm -hmm. you watching you and your sister spread the ashes of your father on television. It's very, very moving. So again, I, I think there's, there's nuance in terms of the value and the sort of lack of value that shows like this can offer. I feel, I agree. Um, but one funny thing about <clears throat> us putting the ashes into the water right there is that is actually where we got the water for the kettle. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> and my dad loves a good joke. So I sure, like, if this happened, it was funny to him. But I'm pretty sure we all, like, drank my dad. 
<laughs> so he lives on. <laughs> That's television history. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. like, it was probably in the same, it was the same. Yeah, we didn't really think about that one. <laughs> That's incredible. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so are you still watching Survivor? Of course, Survivor 41 just premiered. Did you watch that premiere? Yes. Big premiere day. Oh, my God. My kid stayed up late. PJ watched it with me, and we're, like, wearing buffs and stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> popcorn. Uh, yes. I feel bad for Abe because, like, Sarah really stole all the, um, uh, the you know, like, everybody's all feels bad for Sarah, but like, I forget the word that I'm trying to use. All their... Um, all the thunder? Yeah, that wasn't it, but that's good. <laughs> yeah, like like everybody's like, oh, poor Sarah, and like Abe, Abe got snuffed too. You know, yeah, I feel yeah. bad. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about that later. I, was, I felt really bad for Sarah, but then I was like, wait a minute, this guy has feelings too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit more of a blockbuster tribal council, and so I think people are focusing on Sarah. Of course, this is all going to be dated because our conversation with you won't be released for a few weeks, but I'm just uh, curious if you have any favorites coming out of the gate in 41. Um, there's a couple, a couple of people that I like, but I want to wait. There's somebody mm. that I don't think I like, but maybe they can change my mind. So okay. I, it's so early. We don't really yeah. know these people yet, so it's like hard to... Um, but also... These, this is their lives, so I'm not like gonna gamble on it. <laughs> but I'm I know people do, you know. They do. Um <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't I specifically there's a couple of people that I like, but we'll see if they end up how quick they like the crazy eyes. We'll know? have to touch base mm. with you on that later in the season. I wanna ask you a question. We have talked on this podcast sort of about the ways in which Survivor has a gender problem, right? And so how much the game, both by design and then increasingly so over the years, favors male winners. Uh, we can see that statistically, uh, the fact that we haven't had a female winner since season 34, but also even just in looking at the fact, you know, Courtney brought this up on when she came to visit us, and I thought this was so interesting, that on your season of Heroes versus Villains, both of the returning winners were on the Villains tribe, uh, excuse me, both of the female winners to return were on the Villains tribe, and both of the male winners to return were put on the Hero tribe. And that sort of, to me and to Courtney, it really sort of epitomizes the viewpoint that Survivor has about gender. It's something that's been brought up. Um, Jeff's done some interviews recognizing this, and even in the game, you know, we're dropping the uh, come on in you guys. Um, but I'm just curious, I have to wonder with your season particularly how you play a really dominant strategic game. And I wonder if you've ever thought about that if you were a man, if people would have recognized the high level of gameplay that you offered on your season, um, if you think that would have changed things and just for your overall thoughts on sort of the gender dynamics of Survivor having played the game. Um, I've never actually thought about that, but I think you're correct. But everybody's uh, in our in, in Gabon, their judgment was pretty clouded, and uh, they were freshly fresh wounds, you know. So, um, I mean, they would probably hate as much on a man, maybe, uh, but they still would have realized, oh, she did all the stuff. He did. <laughs> I guess I'm a man now. He did all the stuff. You know, he like <laughs> negotiated all of these things and. Uh, and made some cool stuff happen, but whatever, whatever. We all know what happened. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. 
So I don't know. I think I've gotten a sense for this, but I want to ask you if Survivor ever called you again and said, you know, Sugar, we're doing a returning player season. Would you consider returning? I think that I am a um, liability at this point, so probably not. We'll never hear from them. So you won't hear me going, come on, Ted. (laughs) Uh, I might have done that a couple of years ago, but uh, I have no idea. You know, if somebody went to go through my Twitter, they could probably find that. Uh, (laughs) Maybe not a couple of years ago, but maybe like that. I don't know. Uh, But uh, it is like Stockholm Syndrome, like. And, uh, and also people that, uh, like, most people aren't actors on the show. And so they get a little bit of TV and they're like, you know, bring me back. I'm, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's a different feeling for me because I do love to be on TV, but I don't want to be on that show. Yeah. <laughs> and they know it. <laughs> That's you know, I'm you saying. mentioned the fact that your kids were really eager to watch season 41. And I'm just curious, like, there's a dichotomy here, right? Like, you went on this show. This show clearly has caused you some trauma, if not a great amount of trauma. And But then you look at your kids who are watching this adventure show that they probably love, and, and they're not seeing that side of the game. Is that weird for you at all to reconcile? And you know, not just your kids, just watching young people that, like, love this game, but the toll that it took on you personally. Um, well, she will always know. Cause I will mm. always tell her, <laughs> but she, uh, PJ is only, you know, she's about to turn six. So she has heard about survivor. She's seen me do podcasts or talk and like do cameos or whatever. She hears me talk about it. And, uh, and I've said, this is some show that mommy was on. And, um, so, so when we watched it, I was like, come on, let's take a picture with these buffs on. Like oh, you're going to make some popcorn. And like, this will be the first, this is the first time she's ever watched. And like, um, so she was like, so it's like this and like this. And I'm like, yeah, but then the people can be mean and like they say mean things and they turn on each other. So it's not a really nice game, but we get to see them do cool stuff and challenges and stuff like that. Like I'm I'm very honest with her. Like, you know, she's only five, but, you know, like I always am going to be honest with her and like tell her what's up because I want her to know. <laughs> I want her to understand like we are watching the show, but people are you know, getting their hearts broken on it, (laughs) you know, in real life, these are not actors playing roles. So she understands the difference. She does auditions and stuff. So she, she's learning the difference between reality and acting. Hmm. Anything that we did not cover anything that you've wanted to set the record straight on. I just want to make sure that you feel good about this and that you feel like are there any lingering survivor memories or things that you're just now that we're talking about it you're like you know what people need to know xyz i mean i told you that they shot me up with drugs (laughs) you did Um, say that (laughs) i told you about the weird night that they really didn't show enough of of the natives and and their religious ceremony that they allowed us to be near like, I don't remember seeing much of this at all. And it was very like, little, very, little. it was really cool and intense. And maybe they didn't want to show it because like demons were coming out. You know what I mean? Like I was fucking scared. I was just like, I'm going to go to sleep and, you know, hopefully they don't take over Maddie's soul while I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> it was like really intense. I think you see like a glimpse of them with the red paint on their face, uh, they couldn't probably show it because everybody was high and being weird. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I really want to see that footage like really bad. Yeah. 
That's another show. Yeah. <laughs> it could be like a documentary, like watch these people lose their shit and like somehow <laughs> go to sleep and wake up the next day and still they're in this weird world that's still not li- their life. Like I, it was too much. I was just like, how is this happening? Anyways, I got through it. <laughs> somehow <laughs> I made through it. So for Christmas, I mean Christmas, for Halloween, I'm going to be Elaine Stretch. Um, she's a, you of know. Of course. Like, like, Ladies um, who lunch. Yes. So the song, I'm Still Here. Yes. And I love it. It's like my theme song. So I'm going to be her for Halloween. And I cannot wait. <laughs> um, there's that Frank Sinatra song that he, that people always love that I feel like I'm still here. The Elaine Stritch, the Sondheim is so, is so superior to. But there's, oh, My Way. There's that Frank Sinatra song, My Way. Uh-huh. And people are always like, oh, this is mm-hmm. like the definitive like survivalist song. And I'm like, no, I'm Still Here is such a, a better song of like just resilience. Oh, my God. And it's hilarious. And it's very dated, you know, for us. But uh, it's still funny as shit. If you know history, you know, yeah. you, know you get it. But, ah. Uh. I love her. I can't wait to be an old woman for Halloween. (laughs) Sugar, I have to say, before we let you go, I was doing my research and going through your uh, social media to make sure I wasn't missing anything. And I saw that over the pandemic, you got into Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High. And I'm a Toronto native. So this is, I'm in Degrassi, you know what I mean? And I'm a big fan. So if you ever want to talk Stephanie K and Vula and Caitlin, just hit me up. Wait one minute. <laughs> I can't believe you brought up Degrassi. Okay, so so here's like Degrassi Junior High. They're unopened because we're moving, but I made sure that I got these uh, yeah. when I had been because I came across. I don't know. I I always loved that show growing up. There's this girl that had this haircut with his just bangs. I think she got pregnant at one point. Spike. Just, Spike. Spike. Yes. Oh yeah. my god. So I rewatched one one season that I could. Okay, so Degrassi <laughs> Junior High, Degrassi High, but then, look, none of us knew about this. The kids of Degrassi Street. Oh, the kids of Degrassi Street. I've never even seen that. It's That's like that came before. Seventies. Yes. Yeah. This is the one that's open because I was like, I got to see what this yeah. is. But it's you know, it's, it's a shot on whatever. It's really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very it's primitive. Fuzzy. It's like VHS <laughs> or whatever. But so, you know, yeah, I have the whole thing. I'm a fan. It was right there. It was just sitting right there. It wasn't even like in our thing that has all the DVDs. Yeah. Have you seen the movie <laughs> that they did after High? Um, yeah, I think I watched that. It's because dark. it comes after the, the high school burns down and then yeah. show, and then the movie continues or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I was like on a kick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I even followed like a couple of the people. Joey, is it Joey? Joey yeah, Joey name? Jeremiah. And, yeah, yeah, and I think I followed Spike or no, the girl, Caitlin. Caitlin, what's her name? Love Caitlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah fan. Very, I'm a fan of a lot happy. of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Canada, so good for you. Good. <laughs> Okay, Sugar, I want to thank you so much for being so generous with your time. It's so great to talk to a Survivor legend who I think is underappreciated, especially from this golden era of the show. I think this is really the peak of Survivor, and I think you are so integral as a character and a player in making it such a great era for the show. Uh, So it's been such a pleasure to talk to you and get a little bit more insight into your game in Gabon. You guys have been so sweet. Like, my heart is so full right now. I'm going to have such a beautiful day and week. 
and think about you guys. I love you. <laughs> Thank you for being so Well, nice. we shine that back at you, but I, I just want to say, like, when we were kind of thinking, because we really want to have like players on the show early on that we really love. Um, that's why we've had Ozzy on. That's why we've had Courtney on and now you. And I think that in going back, I know, Sean, you just watched Gabon recently. I watched it early on in the pandemic because I'm watching Survivor for the very first time. And I think we both recognize this, like, really, really great gameplay. And then when you see those lists of, like, the best Survivor players ever, your name is not on those lists. And it's BS, but one of the reasons (laughs) that we're doing this podcast and why we're really proud of the listenership that we've cultivated is uh, having people on that recognize the contributions of folks like you on this show. And uh, so yeah, I mean, we. I'm glad, if anything, that you feel that we've celebrated you because that was our intent in having you here today. Oh, thank you guys. I appreciate you. Thank you. Um, I don't really do a lot of pot- uh, these, but uh, I saw that Courtney did it. And I was like, <laughs> she has an important stamp of approval. I wanted. I, I didn't see Ozzy's thing, but I know. I want to hear what I got. Want to go back and uh, he watch spelled. That. He spelled. <laughs> oh man is it crazy it's fun yeah especially about i have a little history with Ozzy, oh. but <laughs> like oh. way nobody oh we don't have that. to end now it's so weird right? <laughs> and you know what's funny is like i saw amanda at an audition once oh. and it was really awkward it was after heroes and villains <gasps> and then i booked it it was like law and order la oh my god but i booked the role so afterwards i was like <laughs> but also like you know like the other 50 girls in the room didn't matter but i I beat her at something. <laughs> I would say uh, Amanda would be up there with you in terms of being some of the more elusive players uh, mm. at present. She does not have any social media. Uh, and No, and, and she remains a big curiosity, especially for Sean. Sean here is a huge Amanda fan. I love Amanda. Yeah. And, uh, she might just be over it. People get over she it. Is. I think she is. Yeah. Makes and sense. Fair enough. Yeah. And it's good. It's better for everybody to just get over it. A lot of people... <laughs> Like, just live their lives <laughs> and don't make Survivor their life. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, not, nothing against the people that do. They have good times. They have, you know, they have fun <laughs> doing their thing. Everybody's different. Everyone yeah. is different. You know? And everybody is also hilarious. Just every type of person is funny in a way. Completely. You know, like, that's... That's why this show, like why any reality show works, you know? Yeah. And I would say too, I mean, like I first connected with Courtney because of Survivor, but the things that she and I go back and forth on social media about are very seldom Survivor at this point. Sometimes it can kind of be a connection point uh, for people, but then from there you, you know, you realize there's a, a world much bigger than Survivor. It can just sort of be an entry point to a more fruitful relationship. Um and yeah, okay, well we, I mean, next time we have you on, if you ever want to talk about this Aussie, uh, whatever, we- No, <laughs> no. <laughs> it is what it is, you can imagine. Mm, we can. Yeah. You know. Anywho, yeah. all right. We visited each other a few times. Okay. And we'll leave it at that? <laughs> but now he does porn, so it's freaking me out. He does, he yeah. does. Well, we get into that on, on his visit, uh, yes, That's so. why I want to watch yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't watch it before this, so I Yeah, no, we, we, love, we love every <laughs> avenue of Ozzy's work, both on and off Survivor. Um, all right, thank you again so very much, and you enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thank you, guys. Bye. Yes. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Okay. Connect with me. Bye. Bye. Okay, Evan, that was sugar. What did you think? What a what a treat. 
I mean, I, I definitely felt like I was not expecting Sugar to lead us down so many uh, roads during this chat. You know, you never mm -hmm. know with people like how much are we going to be talking about Survivor and how much are we going to like zoom out? And when I say zoom out, I can mean many things. I can mean things that happened outside of their experience on the show or some of the BTS in terms of like what was really going on in their head or a Ponderosa or just moments that the camera didn't capture. And I feel like Sugar has a story the one that played out on Survivor. And then there's definitely a story that played out behind the scenes. And I thought it was really, yeah. it was a, a treat for us to get to hear more about the stuff that we didn't get to see. I think the really exciting thing about this interview for me is that Sugar doesn't talk Survivor very often. Uh, or if she does, it's not in this level of detail. And so it was really great to be able to pick her brain a little bit on the actual dynamics of the tribes and the alliances in Gabon. It's just there are so many question marks around what happened in Gabon and there's such lore around it because you have these players like Corinne and Randy who just are dragging feuds out for years and years for a little bit of notoriety and then you have Kenny and Crystal who kind of like they throw things out there apparently and they're very bitter as well about sugar's gameplay so it's just great a kind of like a breath of fresh air in the survivor world to hear from sugar to go straight to the source and you know the takeaway my the question i really wanted to ask sugar was about where she saw her game in relation to Crystal and Kenny and that question about was she ever going to bring them to the final three because I think people really wanted to see that final three and to hear her answer which is like as simple as you know I was at the sugar shack for so long that I just didn't feel a tight alliance to anybody and so I was willing to cut anybody for anything and what I read into that is like okay so when Kenny threw his vote on Maddie, who Sugar had a personal relationship with. That was enough for her to say, look, Kenny, I, I don't feel I owe you anything, so you're out of the game. And so like that there, that illuminates that for me in Gabon, a question I've always had. So uh, yeah, I really, really love to get to dig into the details on that with Sugar. But then, you know, as you say, she went into so much detail on the behind the scenes and the Ponderosa and the situation with JT and heroes versus villains and, and all of that. And uh, I wasn't sure if she was going to go there. I mean, those stories are out there. She's talked about them in the past, but it's obviously uh, traumatic and not necessarily something one may want to revisit a whole lot or in a whole lot of detail. And uh, she did. So I'm very grateful for her uh, to share all of that on our podcast. And I have to imagine, like, you know, you do these fabulous intros at the beginning of the episodes with our guests and sort of read back to them their Survivor resume in great detail. And I feel like for someone like Ozzy, it was more like a trip down memory lane, things that he more mm -hmm. or less might have remembered. And I definitely felt that energy from Sugar that these were things that she did not remember, that we were sort of like retelling her a history that she herself lived uh, and that might be because she's consciously put it in the back of her brain. It might just be this is what happens after 10 plus years. Who knows? But it was fun to sort of like pull these memories from her that are either dormant or had been forgotten, but could kind of be recollected with a little bit of nudging. 
it was fun to see her clearly think about something that she hasn't that hasn't been top of mind for her. And also, as you mentioned, I mean, this is a very yes, there's a lot of lore to this season. This is also a cast that's not not a lot of returning players in this season, not a lot of players that are actively part of the survivor verse. Um, so this is just a season that kind of gets lost in the shuffle. I also want to point out I appreciated in contrast to Courtney where she's like, you know, outside of the game, Russell and I all good. I like the fact that someone like Sugar is like, you know what, Corinne, not a fan. Um, And I, I think that it's nice to see authenticity by way of like, you know what, sometimes you meet people through this game, you don't like them on the island, and that's how things stack up. Right. And mm-hmm. I think it's good that there's variant. It's cool that someone like Courtney can look at someone like Russell, who she didn't get along with on the show and say, you know, we leave it on the island. But I respect Sugar for being like, I saw Corinne for who she was. And as someone myself who is not a fan of Corinne's be- and I don't know her personally. I just know her behavior on the Internet <laughs> and uh, on podcasts. But as someone who's not a particular fan of Corinne, I it was uh, it was pleasant for me to hear that Sugar still all these years later is not a fan. Well, I think one of the things about Sugar is that so much of her survivor story has been defined by her feuds with Randy and Corinne, which when it comes to Corinne is so deeply personal and hurtful, I would assume, to Sugar that, you know, there has to be some level of Sugar's memory of Gabon being that, being, you know, diluted to that. And I think that what I was excited to do was actually bring it back to the gameplay and mm-hmm. Sugar's game because Sugar was so much more than Corinne uh, in Gabon. In fact, they barely interacted. It was like, you know, all you got was Corinne being psychotic about Sugar in confessionals and then like the on her last day trying to convince Sugar that they should be in an alliance together. Uh, and we saw Corinne get played in that. Um, so... I just really enjoyed the opportunity to, with Sugar, take a step back and look at her game more broadly speaking, uh, because I don't think that it is looked at often enough. Right. I also just think, like, looking back at Gabon, I think one of the fun things about Gabon, and you get this a lot more with those early seasons, but when you have, like, a group of people, oh, I mean, most famously, I think it happens in Cook Islands uh, with, you know, the white people for lack of, I forget the name of their Mm -hmm. tribe. Um, But when you have these sort of like um, villains, if you will, and you get to watch them get picked off one by one, like, and, and this, I would say the contrast to this season is I wouldn't paint sugar in the same light that I would the I two four. It's not as though there's like some hero quashing the villains. Cause sugar's, there's a little bit more nuance to sugar's journey on the show. It's not so finite, but I think one of the enjoyable things is you have these players like Randy and Corinne and even to an extent, excuse me. And even to an extent, Kenny and crystal, and you just get to see them, you know, pick, get picked off one by one. And then in the end, when you have, uh, is it, so is Maddie in the end or is it just Bob and Sugar? Is this a three person? I can't remember. It's three person. Okay, yeah. yeah. So with the three of them, you have three players that are ultimately pretty likable, all things considered. I know some people in the game might argue Sugar was less likable than the others, but I think this is a unique season in that the, the, the villains, if you will, do not make it to the end. They get picked off and three heroes, I know we can use that word to mean a lot of things to a lot of different people, but I think three good-hearted individuals went to the end in this game, which you don't always see. Even the way that they get to the three, you know, remember, is that Sugar forces a tie between Maddie and Bob because she just can't pick between them, which is 
admirable in one sense. I can see why that bugs people, and especially people who don't believe that Bob should win his season. That's a whole other conversation about whether the winner always deserves to win or not. Um, Maybe he'll get into that at some point. I personally was rooting for Susie in this situation, but mm. <laughs> that that's another conversation. Um, but yeah, so it, it really was that. And I think, you know, I personally really liked Crystal and Kenny, and they are people who I think really deserve another chance to play this game. I'd be fascinated to see both of them play the game. They're complicated people uh, with a lot of nuance to their character. They are likable and hateable all at once and just fast, like excellent casting, I think. Um, and it's just so interesting to, for me to hear that Kenny has all this resentment all these years later. I often wonder about Kenny because I do think he is one of the great forgotten players, uh, forgotten by the show. Um, so yeah, it's just, just great to revisit Gabon. I think everybody should go take a, take a 12 hour break to go watch Gabon. <laughs> well, yes, but also not for nothing, watch the premiere episode of Heroes vs. Villains because mm -hmm. Sugar has a very prominent display for being a first boot. You get a ton of Sugar. You get multiple iconic moments from Sugar. And I would be, I mean, I feel this way about a lot of players on a lot of seasons but you know you just wonder had the cards been stacked differently it i i believe sugar could have gone very far in the game had she survived that first elimination yeah I think well, it was you one see of those Sari yeah. actually yeah you see Sari in her confessional saying like i actually would like to keep sugar because she's like as my <laughs> it's not the right term but like meat shield she's my shield right yeah. like yeah. i can use her um, cause if somebody, if they start to want to vote out weak people, I've always got sugar, which is what kind of is what sugar was saying about Paloma in the interview. Right. So that strategy works and it would be really interesting to see what would have happened, uh, if she was able to stay. But another thing we can blame on JT, I guess. Maybe we would have had Sandra Russell and sugar in the final, uh, and it would have been <laughs> splitting votes between Sandra and sugar, you know, yeah. anything could have happened. Yeah. What if Sugar's legacy was what Parvati's legacy went on to be? I mean, this is all survivor lore. Honestly, we could do a whole thing of like, what if, what if, what if? But what if? needless to say, I think I'm I'm grateful that Sugar, as you mentioned, she doesn't do a ton of interviews and seldom does she talk about Survivor. I'm grateful that she felt comfortable enough with us to come do this podcast, but then also to give us quite a bit and to be vulnerable and to go back uh, gracefully to a time that maybe she's put aside for, you know, reasons that some of which are revealed in this interview, but others we might not even know. But I think it's really fun and, and valuable to get someone like her on and hear about their experience because um, not every, you know, yes, it's a game, but there's real life ramifications to a game like this and to how players are treated or mistreated. And so I think it's important to hear stories like Sugar's. Yeah. And as an aside, Sugar is just uh, a wonderful person and a joy to talk to. And, you know, we're recording this a couple of days after, a little while after the uh, interview itself. And Sugar and I went back and forth about Degrassi uh, quite a bit after the interview. So uh, maybe there's another podcast there. <laughs> maybe so if you did enjoy this though sugar is on instagram i encourage everyone to follow sugar send her a message putting some respect on her name it's important that we obviously remember our legends but that we celebrate them and we want to just send love to sugar because again her following like so many survivors should be much bigger than it is 
And don't message her about the correct pronunciation of Siri. If she wants to say Siri, she can call her Siri. Yes, yes, she can. That's my stance on that. (laughs) (laughs) And when we have Siri on eventually, we will ask her for how she pronounces sugar, because maybe we'll get a little bit of back and forth there. Maybe Mm. she'll have her own, you know, sugar. Manifesting that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you're subscribed to this so you don't miss our next interview and to get our weekly recaps if you're watching Survivor 41. I hope you are. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.